Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Hawkins. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy day, but uh, I have been looking forward to this conversation all day, so I'm happy now. Okay, y'all, in this episode, we are going to be talking about COVID, specifically the COVID vaccine with a real-life scientist, Dr. Emily Smith. So we're here with Dr. Emily Smith. She's an epidemiologist living in Waco, Texas. And you can follow her on Facebook, The Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist. Dr. Emily, thank you for joining us today. We are so excited to talk to you about this topic and just kind of really dig in with your area of expertise. So before we jump in, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and who you are and what you do and what exactly is an epidemiologist? I get asked that a lot. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm right down the road from you guys um, and enjoying the Texas weather as well. So I'm uh, Emily Smith. I'm a, an epidemiologist here at Baylor University. Um, I'm from southeast New Mexico and went to school kind of all over Texas. Uh, so we, we just are native Texan people. We've been in the Carolinas for a little bit to uh, bounce back and forth and get degrees. But uh, we're finally back home of what we say here in Texas. And I'm married to a pastor. Uh, We are 18 years at this point and we have a 12 year old girl, nine year old boy. I could feel the entire podcast talking about them, but I won't. (laughs) Uh, That's a little bit about me and epidemiology. Prior to the pandemic, we were confused a lot of being an epidermist and being dermatology. (laughs) That's my one joke. Uh, We're not scared. Anymore, God bless them. <laughs> Study of, of epidemics of distribution of disease and what what um, makes disease spread, who is vulnerable um, to diseases. A lot of health disparity work. I actually do global health work um, in places like Somaliland and Ghana and really okay. poor parts of the world for poverty. Um, and so it's been interesting to get into this scientific communication work with COVID here in the U.S. There's a lot of similarities between those two. Um, that's a little bit about me. How did you, that's really fascinating. And it's fascinating to hear sort of the breadth of your work. Um, how did, Dr. Emily, how did you get, I guess maybe the question is, did Christianity or your Christian faith somehow uh, prompt you into this profession um, and, and, you know, maybe a better, easier way to ask that is what got you into this profession in the first place? That's such a great question. You know, I knew in kindergarten when they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up and you draw a picture? I wanted yeah. to be a missionary in Sandy Patty. <laughs> 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 One of those worked out and it's not a best thing. So I thought the only way to do that in global health is to go to medical school. So I was pre-med double major from Wayland Baptist University up in the panhandle of Texas. Um, And then I went on my first real mission trip to Honduras with the Mercy Ship. And Mm, I saw up front more than I ever had about poverty. 
and population health. And I, I realized that I asked questions that weren't really about treating one person at a time. It was more about communities and poverty and children as a whole who needed help. Um, so just in, I mean, in God's providence, I kind of fell into epidemiology thinking it would help me get into medical school and realized, oh, this is how I think. I think bigger picture. Mm. Um, so that's how I'd, I got a master's in that and then got a PhD and haven't looked back. And so it's just been incredible to see mission work. I've worked with a lot of mission organizations um, with my own research. And so I kind of get to do the missionary work now on a global scale, but certainly even with COVID. I'm still not singing though, Sandy Penny. <laughs> There's always I mean, we'll take a couple hits. I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. just want to bless There's us today. It's <laughs> always time for Sandy Penny. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you have this really fun and interesting kind of dual role of being a scientist and a pastor's wife. And so how have you seen those two worlds intersect and God use your interest in studying epidemics and how to help communities deal with poverty and just illness um, filter over into serving in your church and then the other way? Kind of how have you seen those two come together? Well, I mean, prior to COVID, doing my work is completely stemmed by faith. I actually see epidemiology as the Good Samaritan. Uh, figuring mm. out who the vulnerable people mm. are and choosing not to walk by. Mm. Um, and so that's global work. Now, when COVID started happening back in March, I started the page because I started getting questions from friends and neighbors and families. Uh, should we worry about this and why? Um, and they'd ask those same questions with Ebola. And we watched Ebola and I answered those questions, but Ebola is different because usually when someone is contagious with that is when they're sick and you know, COVID is different. And so I was getting questions. So I just started a Facebook page really for my mom and her friends and a couple of mine that I could rope in. Um, and I called it friendly neighbor to be, to be friendly neighbor as an epidemiologist to my, uh, to friends. And it has taken off. Um, but early, early on, I, I saw the opportunity that we were going to have with the virus like COVID to love our neighbors because what we do protects them. And, and who is affected most are the vulnerable. So it's the Good Samaritan story. So I think it was in late April, I wrote an article about loving our neighbor and who are they. We, knew, we know it's um, elderly but we also know it's issues of poverty, it's racial and ethnic minorities and how the church can help with that. Um, and then the, the really the issue of poverty started coming to light of if you cannot afford care, um, but you need that care, if you can't isolate because you don't have a guest room and you live with multi-generational family, that's an issue that does not affect all of us. And that's the Good Samaritan story. So I started highlighting that is just kind of an overflow of this is us being the church. And we have an opportunity probably more than ever, at least in our lifetimes, to show the love of Jesus um, by what by our actions of what we do. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but over time that has morphed to some odd situations with faith and masking and, you know, all of that. But, um, but it kind of came natural of the church has an opportunity to love our neighbor. I love how you see your job as as 
helping us, other Christians, but everybody, but other Christians specifically, helping them learn how to love their neighbor. And I can't help but think back, even as you talked about your discovery of your love of epidemiology, just the, and the idea of thinking big picture about how to help vulnerable communities. Um, I, I just can't help but think about uh, the, the overall Christian history of Christians stepping into epidemics or pandemics or whatever plagues throughout history and being, I don't know, voices of compassion, thinking about neighbors. And, and even as you've seen that sort of modernize and you look at, although I'm sure there's issues and I'm not qualified to speak on them with hospitals and, and all kinds of things, I'm sure there's healthcare issues out there that I'm not qualified to speak on. Even, even looking at these giant healthcare, um, j- big hospitals and how so many of them have Christian names or denominations tied to them. And just the, the, um, intersection between Christian faith and wanting to care for the vulnerable and how that's, that's come together with healthcare. And since seeing that represented in your story, I, I wonder if, if you've thought about that ever, have you ever thought about that history? And, oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, with my husband being the pastor and we're, we're both a bit nerdy. So we have a lot of books. Sure. A lot. Sure. Yeah. And I, he has, he's always talked about in some of that prior pandemics, like the, the bad ones, you know, the 1918 flu and mm. um, they're the people who did not leave were the Christians and the nuns mm. and they stayed when others fled. So mm. I think that's right. There is a risk, not all right. They're not, there wasn't social media back then to let sure. us <laughs> um, But it, it, it is an opportunity to just take your freedom up with the cross mm. and, to go in very risky situations if our life is not our own uh, and according to, you know, being an ambassador, then it changes, it changes my view of safety. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Emily, um, today we kind of want to hone in on just a discussion about COVID and the vaccine, but I want to just start with the discussion on COVID. Why? do we need to take this seriously? Like it might seem like a simple question, but not everyone's convinced. And so I think from your expertise and your work, why is COVID something that we should be taking seriously in this country? Yeah. Well, the first reason is because it's a new virus. And so it is, no one has immunity to it. It's different than something like the common cold or the flu or strep throat where our bodies have seen it. And so we have, a little bit of protection against those. And I mean, you can still get sick with that, but it's different than this where our bodies just have no idea what they're looking at. Um, It is highly contagious is another reason. Mm -hmm. And so in epidemiology, we call that R not, if you want to throw that into some type of jeopardy conversation, (laughs) (laughs) that is a measure of from one infected person, how many others can get sick and Mm -hmm. something like the cold or the flu you know, it's one, one to two people. Measles is up to nine to 10, which prior to the vaccine for that, measles went crazy from one infected person. We know with COVID that it is somewhere um, in the middle. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. that's why you see the exponential growth. That's, you know, those things that look like a roller coaster uphill. Um, so those two reasons you take it seriously. And then the, the other one is what we're seeing how it affects different body organs differently than the flu. Mm -hmm. This thing is now affecting vascular 
um, the brain, it's not just a respiratory disease. And then we have these long collar issues to think about too. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, fortunately, if you don't die from it, we don't know what it looks like long-term. And some people mm -hmm. are really suffering long-term young people. The average age of being a long collar is 44. And most of them are women, man. Wow. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> That's a lot of us out there that are yeah babies or working or something. Um, so those are the main reasons why I would, it, it's just brand new. Yeah. 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 You know, it's been interesting to sort of watch some of the response and you alluded to it earlier as it relates to professing Christians, you know, we're in Texas, you're in Texas. Um, and, and I know some of our listeners are from around the country, but in Texas, we're in the Bible belt. You guys know that. And, um, we've seen a high number of cases, but some of the response from from Christians uh, have been, especially around masks, I would say, in churches. I think everybody knows this. There's just, I, I think COVID has been, maybe been, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I think COVID's maybe been one of the, uh, a, a divisive issue. It's become a divisive issue, especially around some of the uh, protocols and procedures and trying to keep people safe. How do you, for you, how do you reconcile some of the, what do you think, let me ask it this way. What do you think we as Christians should be focused on? You know, there's competing values. Is it our personal freedom? Is it protecting our neighbor? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess, how have you thought through that, Dr. Emily? Well, I thought it's been like drinking from a fire hose, uh, yeah. figuring out how to think about it. Because at the beginning, there was so much solidarity. And I worked with uh with priests and Episcopal churches and Southern Baptists to kind of cover the gamut from all over the country on this. At the beginning, there was a solidarity. Of, we're going to stay home. We're flattening the curve. We're wearing a mask to love our neighbor. And there was so much yes to that. In the summer, I, st I started seeing a shift. And this includes from, from even people that I knew um, of a shift around masking that I started hearing more of, if I wear a mask, I'm living in fear. And then some were even, and y'all, everybody heard this too. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. If you wear a mask, then you don't have faith. And so I started combating that a little bit with my writing on the site. Of actually, it is a statement of immense faith. And if you, I was trying to get people that mask are faith-filled and faithful. They're faith-filled mm -hmm. because they're protecting, loving our neighbors, but they're faithful because they're also doing what, what the second commandment says to do, the greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Galatians says everything is summed up in that one verse, the whole law. Um, and I, I did see a, a large reaction when I put out that post about masking. Very good and very bad. Um, mm -hmm several threats, lots of nasty messages, and then a lot of other good, well-meaning Christians going, I don't understand this either, and I will wear a mask. So I started seeing that divide. And then what started happening is the when Black Lives Matter rallies started mm -hmm. uh, ramping up and George Floyd's murder, I started getting comments from Christians blaming the pandemic on race issues. And so I combated that because we actually had data showing that 
those protests and rallies were not associated with community spread. At that same time, other rallies were going on that were political in nature, large rallies that were probably on the other side of the BLM conversation that were uh, super spreaders. And so that backlash was pretty swift too. So I don't, I have not reconciled my mind. I'm a peacemaker at heart. Um, And I I think it's going to take a, it's going to take a while to figure out how to disentangle that, but it's one big messy web now of politics and mask and race. Um, but the same, I have, I have not received any type of negative backlash to what I've said about faith and loving our neighbor and everything that all of us, that you three, yeah. the three of us can agree on, mm-hmm. anyone except Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been very disheartening. But at the same time, I'm seeing more and more people come to terms with that, call it for what it is and say, I want I want to do something different now. Mm-hmm. So it's just been, yeah. it's been messy. I do not, I do not understand. I, I wrote another post about uh, let's define our freedom according to the cross of laying down yeah. our lives, living our neighbors, mm-hmm. and that resonated with people, uh, certain ones, and then struck a really weird chord with others. Mm-hmm. I, I, and it's still messy, so I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think messy is probably a really good word to describe the dynamic of, I think just even just the culture um, with Christians and what's happening in the political arena and COVID and race, I feel like they're all kind of intertwined. Um, and for some, you know, I believe it's this moment of reckoning of what do I really believe and what does my faith really require of me as we see the fragility of life? Um, As COVID gets closer and closer to home and whether it is financial loss or just, you know, it might be the inconvenience of it or it might be, you know, someone who isn't here anymore. And it's not um, kind of something that happens to those people over there that those people are now us in our communities. And so I think another reason um, that sometimes we lash out We don't know the best way to deal with our emotions and our frustration and our anger. And part of that is because of fear. Um, And I think a lot of people fear the vaccine, this distrust for science that has kind of broken down over the years. Can you talk to that in that dynamic? Why do you feel like there is so much distrust for the scientific community? I think it's part of social media as well. You know, they say that some studies have said fake news travels six to 10 times faster than real news. Mm-hmm. And it is a constant battle on my site to uh, to try to beat whatever new theory or misconception. And some are really wonky and some are just not as wonky. But yeah. by the time I get to it, it's, most of it is spread um, like wildfire. So I think that is part of it. Um, another reason is just that weird political ideology of anti-science that has just come from 2020. Um, cause I don't think the distrust was that bad. I mean, you certainly had people that distrusted some big pharma and vaccines, but it is a whole new group that is now intertwined with with faith and everything that we just talked about that do not trust it. Um, So I I don't quite understand that yet, other than it's just part of the messy thread from 2020 and vaccines are the next frontier. 
Yeah. Do you think some of the messiness, because I, I do want to be fair too, because I, I, you know, uh, some pe- some of the messiness is fake news. Absolutely. But do you think, and I'm really asking, this is a true question. It's not a leading one. Do you think some of the messiness is because of how new novel coronavirus is? I mean, like I felt as a, as a pastor, I remember getting up and, and I've been made, people poke fun at me still for this. <laughs> and I, in their, in their, I love that they do. I mean, it's totally fine. Uh, but in March, I remember it was like very beginning of March. It was start, we were starting to see some things here. And I stood up and was like, we are going to be open and we're going to, you know, and I kind of did like the pitch of like, we're not going to be afraid guys. And we're going to, we're going to take care of each other in this and we're going to do the right thing. But like, we're going to, it's important to stay open. And I literally, two days later, got up and was like, Hey guys, we're closed this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I put my foot in my mouth, but like information yeah. has changed so fast. And I'm not, you know, it's just changed so fast. And then studies are so like, you know, I've read studies recently at first, everybody was being put on ventilators. Right. And then they've realized that might not have been the best thing. Some people died because of maybe because of complications with ventilators. And I, I don't know the science of it all, but I'm just saying because it's so new, even the way we've treated it has honestly been a miracle how quick, how good we've gotten at treating it. Right. Uh, as compared to in the very beginning, and or it seems that way. Or I've heard reports of that. Do you think some of the messiness is related to just how new everything is, too? Oh, absolutely! God bless them. Yes, yeah. I just want that's what I want. That's what I want to say to my site nearly every day when I do a post is just bless you. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine all of the information and where do you go? And there's conflicting reports, and you know you hear a study and it's my job, you know, years of going through school to figure out is the study legit or not? Yes. I think you are absolutely right. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of chatter and two, it's, it's just a scary time. Um, and things change so quickly with COVID, you know, you go from 10 cases to 200 in a matter of days and, and you want to keep your family safe. So you're Googling and, Trying talking to your friends and figuring that out. So I, I very much think you're right on that. That it it's just information overload. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. In terms of information overload too, and I think I think this is where we're we're kind of headed is towards vaccine. Uh, the conversation around vaccine. I know we've been talking about just COVID in general, but what are major misconceptions that you're seeing about the COVID vaccine itself? And what would what would you want our listeners to know about the uh, you know what should we be aware of in terms of misconceptions? And then what should we be aware of in, uh, in terms of what's true about the vaccine? I think the the biggest one I hear is these were made in 20 minutes in my grandma's garage, right? I mean, it, sure. feels like it was made really, really quick. And they also named, it was not in a grandma's garage for listeners. That is, that is not trying to be funny. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that worked or not. <laughs> um, they named it Operation Warp Speed, which in yeah. hindsight, they're probably wishing something different. <laughs> so it, it looks like it was made quick. Uh, what people don't realize, especially for mRNA or the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine, is it, it's a different type than, than what we've seen. There have been 
decades of trying to figure out um, that technology and do the 20 years of developing that technology prior to 2019, 2020. And so Mm -hmm. by the time that it got time to press go and start the phase one trial, all of that backup work had already been done. And I think that's a misconception. It wasn't like 20 years of development was squunched into two days. Um, It was, they had already done that, that work. Another misconception is about the mRNA technology that it sounds a little sci-fi-y, but it's it's not. Um, It's actually much safer than some of our other viruses that actually contain a live virus. You know, this type, this uh, mRNA technology doesn't contain a virus. It doesn't change your DNA. It doesn't affect women's fertility um, or the risk of women's fertility. That's another big one I've heard. And I've got a 12-year-old, so I've looked at that data. Mm -hmm. If my little Bella gets that vaccine in a year, what does that look like for her? And it's very safe for uh, for little ones like that or even for women that um, want to become pregnant or breastfeeding. So those are the big misconceptions of it it sounds mRNA-ish, which I don't know if that should be sci-fi or not. And (laughs) I could say anything. It is the the technology is so good compared to when they were developing polio and measles vaccine and even the Ebola vaccine, you know, three to four years ago. Um, And then when you look at the trials, these phase three trials are 40,000, 60,000 people followed incredibly closely and every little thing is monitored on how they feel. Uh, when you when they look at the data, when you hear the ef- efficacy of 94, 95%, that is so good. <laughs> to give you, to put that in context, flu vaccines every year are, you know, ranging from 47 to 62% on a good wow. year. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It is, it is safe side effects. Um, I think with 2020 and social media, any really bad headache gets blown up. Um, and I'm not minimizing side effects, but same with the flu. You might feel achy. Uh, you might have a headache, but they they resolve. And it's very, very rare to have anything significant. Um, in fact, the, um, the trial participants, no one was hospitalized. If anybody did have some type of weird reaction, which was very rare, less than five, um, then they were just given, you know, treatment and then released. So those, it, it, I think it sounds scary because it's new, but I just hope people, it's just, it's one of our best defenses right now against it. I read a statistic the other day, or actually, I think I was reading this book called The Body. It was, it's a really good book. I'm trying to remember who wrote it. Um, Anyways, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, But it was, it's a really good book. And they were talking about vaccines and saying that even more Maybe even more than the development of antibiotics, vaccines have potentially saved more lives in the 20, 20th and now going into the 21st century than, um, than maybe than antibiotics. And I think sometimes that's lost on our listeners and especially, I, know, I don't know, I mean, like if you just kind of follow the vaccine debates that have been going on for the last decade or so around measles vaccines and things like that, it seems like there's a lot of misinformation about there. From a larger perspective, how do you, Dr. Emily, view vaccines? Um, in other words, maybe even bringing in 
a biblical ethic a little bit to what vaccines might be? How would you look at them? Yeah, well, prior to COVID, vaccines are are something that I just love because I do global health work. Yeah. And, so in, and a country like Somaliland that I work in, it's the fourth poorest country in the world, has some of the highest childhood and mother mortality rates, um, very, very high. And a lot of them are preventable by uh, vaccinations, childhood vaccinations, but they, you see measles a lot there. You see polio. So I think out of sight, out of mind is what we just take for granted here in the States of these very preventable um, conditions that I, I see a lot with my work in the global health world. From a biblical standpoint, um, it, it just feels like a way of protection to living who God wants me to be and providing a way for my children to live and become who God wants them to be. It's the same reason why I make them eat apples and make them not eat five cupcakes, which today that's what they wanted because we have this <laughs> <for our> birthday. <laughs> but it's, it's protecting them. Of I want, I want you to be body, soul, and spirit one and who God made you to be when you are older. And part of that to me is vaccines. Um, and I, now that I'm in the COVID vaccine world, I've gotten a little bit more understanding into some of the vaccine hesitancies that, um, that I was not aware of prior to that. Cause I've just gotten my kids. I read the studies prior to it. Cause that's who I am as an epidemiologist, but then my kids got their vaccines on schedule um, so that has been interesting to see it from a parent perspective of some of the hesitation around around vaccines. Um, but the ones that are out there are just safe and effective in a way to provide our kids, I think, who God wants them to be. Mm. I think if you could, um, if we had someone on today that was a little fearful, you know, I think wanting to do their best, wanting to steward the life that God has given them, like how you talked about just, man, how do we protect what we've been given so that we can live well in this world? How would you encourage them to walk in faith and not fear? Gosh, that's such a great, a great question. I, I would, I, I would ask people to trust the science and that sounds so anti-faith. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the process, you know, the director of the National Institute of, of Health is a strong Christian. In fact, when he got his Pfizer vaccine um, and he re, they did this big promotional event where it was televised from it, he read from the Psalms and he got very choked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he used to be an atheist and then he found the Lord during medical school. He has a book on it, but he's wow. it's an story, but hearing him talk about his motivation for directing our biggest institute that we have of science is the same motivation of why I'm doing what I'm doing from a faith perspective. Um, And so it's just, to me, it's a way to value excellence in work. Same as an electrician, same as a surgeon, same as people doing excellent job is what we've done, what the science world has done with the vaccines right now. Um, so I would see it as every blessing comes from the Lord, as it, it's, it's a blessing to protect me. But not only that, it is now one of the best ways to protect my neighbors um, and my own family. So it's 
it's another way of seeing who's vulnerable and choosing not to walk by. Because the last thing I want to do is to get COVID. Um, and I have a guest room and I have a nest egg of if I have a huge ER bill, I have a little bit of cushion. You know, I'm not banking, but I've got a cushion. And I have a good mm-hmm. job. And vaccines are a way to protect those that don't. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just say, gosh, yeah. I just understand. And to these mamas, I get it. To the breastfeeding um, and, you know, women who want to have children or past that age, then it, it is okay to be scared, but it, it is a step of faith to do it. At the same time, it, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, we are now working with uh, communities of color and speaking with them about vaccines is a whole different ballpark because that history is terrible. I actually have an entire, in my epidemiology course, I have a whole day where we talk mm. about Tuskegee in science in yeah. Henrietta yeah. Lack. Yeah. Um, and by the end of that day, I'm, I cry every time. And most of my mm-hmm. students, they haven't heard that history. So that, that's a different conversation of, of empathy and awareness. And I have loved, I saw Jesse Jackson got his vaccine today yeah. on TV. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, it's some humility of knowing who to speak to and how to speak to um, communities of color about this yeah. with immense empathy and, and reconciling mm-hmm. our history that we have with them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really good point, you know, because um, African-Americans have a history of not having this particularly good relationship with medicine because of their bodies being used as testing ground um, against their will. And so just kind of a dark history that leads to this distrust of something that is supposed to be helpful, but in that middle space, like you said, Dr. Emily, just this place of compassion and empathy for people's stories. And so, you know, I think when it comes to these conversations, they tend to be um, stressed and tense um, and really move towards spaces of division and we can think the worst of people on either side of the line, regardless of what we think. And I think to remember that people desire to have a good life, to be safe, and to live well. Um, and that we would have empathy and compassion for the people we're talking to. But there, within that, there is still the need to share truth. And again, what we've seen even in the past week is the dangers of what happens when mistruth is believed and acted upon. And so kind of with both hats of the scientist and the pastor's wife, um, I'm going to land at the plane on this question here, Dr. Emily. Kind of how would you encourage uh, pastors to who are trying to be responsible and safe, yet want to avoid creating unnecessary division in their congregations? Kind of how would you help them care for their congregants who might be on both sides of the line? No, oh, goodness gracious, bless them. And their families. <laughs> I think this conversation, this answer would have been different in May. It would have been different in August. It would have been different in November. I think now the lid has been taken off of of all of these issues of masking, um, of care for our neighbors, of poverty, of privilege, of race. The COVID has highlighted what has always been around. It's just put it out there. And so if I would encourage 
pastors, I, I would say have the hard conversations with the right people. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least for my followers, I am seeing more people want a new sort of faithfulness. That for many, in especially the followers that are uh, just good suburbia white Christians, they have not had to counter a lot of these issues that are coming up, including things on poverty. And they're asking questions of, with COVID, why are our um, our communities of color communities living in poverty? Why are they dying 10 to 20 years younger than white communities? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we get to talk about that. It's health access and it is privilege. And, uh, so for pastors, I I just want to say I pr- I'm pray for you every morning. <laughs> um, but to have the hard conversations mm-hmm. and to to talk to the right people um, and to take a breath, because I know it is so loud for pastors. I just with so many voices and a lot of hurt that probably happened in 2020. Mm. Uh, but if I would encourage, I would encourage to go there. I think the lid has been taken off mm-hmm. and the new faithfulness, a new wineskin. I just feel like 2021 from a faith standpoint is a new wineskin of us choosing to be different than who we were in 2020 um, mm-hmm. and care for the poor and care for probably who we didn't care or talk about correctly. As a word, you know, this, this, this moment of new faithfulness that we have to regain the vision for what's always been there, which is the outworking of the gospel, that we will be a people who are characterized by a love for God and a love for other people. And I think what we see, like you said, this lid that has been taken off is that we might not have been doing as good of a job of loving other people as we think we were. And we have an opportunity to do that as we look at the vaccine to to research in good spaces, getting good information, um, to ask questions, but to see it through a lens of what does it mean for me to steward the life that I've been given to live well? You think about the cultural mandate that God gave us gifts and talents and ingenuity that we might build a beautiful world for all of creation. And so I think science falls into that, this ingenuity that he's given us to steward life, but also that we're responsible for each other and responsible for the most vulnerable. And so even though COVID might not affect um, us in, in our life as much as it might affect the another person, we're still responsible for and connected to that person. And so how am I operating in such a way that my actions are taking in consideration the vulnerable in this world and that we are doing what we're supposed to be, which is loving God and loving people. And see it as the Good Samaritan. Thanks. Vaccines are a way to yes. not not walk by. That's good. Yes, yes. And we are in a space where we need to pause in our steps and turn around and engage some of the communities and the people that we've been walking by. And I think that that moment of new faithfulness that you're talking about, we have a great opportunity and I hope that we rise to the occasion um, in the next coming weeks and months in 2021. Thank you, Dr. Emily. This has been so informative and great. And just thank you just for your faithfulness to to combine both um, disciplines and really underneath your faith for the Lord. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rourke. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram and support our patron page 
at patron.podbean.com backslash culture matters. Thanks y'all and God bless.